Welcome to the ministry of Berean Bible Church in Louisville, Ohio, pastored by Ted Fellows and committed to preaching and teaching God's Word from a dispensational perspective. Most of the messages you will hear are recorded from our local church services. You can find out more about our ministry at www.bereansoflouisville.org. Thank you for listening. Uh, take your Bibles and open with me to the book of Proverbs this morning, Proverbs chapter 1. I want to talk to you this morning, basically a Father's Day message, because I'm primarily addressing the men in our assembly. Uh, but uh, really, I just want to talk to you about marriage and the family and the home and the importance of it. And, and I don't need to com communicate to this group the importance of the home and the family. But um, I want to just go to, go to some things in the scripture just to remind ourselves of some, of some basic truths and I'm doing a series, I've entitled the series Ambassadors with 2020 Vision. And uh, we're leading up to the, at least the, the, the message by Brother Russ Shepard as he talks about our gospel uh, in this world. We've all, we're all aware and we watch the country and the, the things that are going on and the chaos. And it's, it's my desire, so oftentimes we get saddened and, and uh, discouraged and we kind of wring our hands and all, you know, it's just we, we're watching everything fall apart. And... What I want to do is encourage us to just stick to the scripture and continue to look at God's word as the, as the final authority and the prism through which we view our culture and our world and our relationships. Not the other way around. Christianity, evangelicalism, um, and just general religion is getting drawn into the cultural battles to approach the cultural battles from the from the perspective, and we are being driven by the, by, by the other side, I'll say it that way, to, uh, to acquiesce to their vocabulary and their dialogue and the, and the, the uh, identification of the problem and the problems. And if you misdiagnose the problem and uh, you, all you do is talk about the symptoms, you never get anywhere in the... Uh, um, in the resolving the problems in our culture and our world. And I'll just say this to you. Um, the division in our country is because we've been divided into groups, not one nation under God and the common identity that we have as Americans. And the, the subdivisions then are also, we're divided into groups, white versus black and single versus married and uh, man versus woman and rich versus poor and, and, and all of those, all those things. Our gospel does not address group problems, even national problems. It addresses the needs of the individual. And the church, the body of Christ, can go out and have an impact in the culture as it addresses the needs of the individual. The problem is the church, the body of Christ, has gone so far afield and so far astray, it does not have the right message that reaches and fills the heart the way God wants to fill it with his truth and our completeness and the identity that we're, that we're in Christ. But we stand and, and we rejoice in those things. And before I get too far afield, I, I, I get that off my chest. But this morning I want to talk to us about the family and the home. And on Father's Day, and as we think about Mother's Day and our families that are gathering, something popped up in the scriptures here that just jumped out at me in the, in the issue of godly generations and the, the, 
not just the family, but the extended family and the importance of that. And when we talk about the family and we talk about godly generations, we know what that means. We understand some things about that, don't we? And, uh, and yet when you talk about the family in the culture, people look at you with kind of a deer in the headlights look because you're talking to people about something many, I'm not saying all, many have no visualization, realization of what that looks like. Um, they don't have a good home life to look back upon. Um, and if they do, if they have a home life in an intact family, many of those are dysfunctional. And uh, um, they have bad memories of growing up in childhood and abuse and all these, all these things, all these chaos things. Last night we're laying in bed and all of a sudden Sue's phone went off. And it startled me. My phone didn't get, I don't know why they're not programmed the same, but it was an amber alert. And, uh, you, know, woo, 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 you know, and I'm looking for my, you know, finally realized what it was. And she shut it off and cleared it and whatnot. And I said, uh, I said, is it an amber alert? And she says, yeah. And I just made the comment, another broken family. You know, another child that's been abducted um, by one of, the, one of the parents or aunt and uncle or whatever. And it just, uh, you know, that's, that's commonplace in these days. We, we sit here, and with the pr perspective of God's word, it is such a joy. It is such a privilege, and I don't use that word in the way that it's used today. Um, it's distorted today. It is such a, such a blessing to have godly generations and to be a part of that, wherever you are in that, in that chain. I, I, I'm, I'm grateful today. I'm in the midst of five generations. Um, I'm right in the middle, my dad and my grandfather. My dad, last time I saw my dad was almost 34 years ago when we closed his casket at the, at the day of his funeral. Uh, we, we had his funeral the week I graduated from Grace School of the Bible. Uh, the last time I saw my grandfather was almost 49 years ago because um, we shared the farmhouse with him. My grandma and grandpa lived on the other side of the farmhouse. Um, but, but my dad and, and my grandfather leave a legacy that I didn't so much, but I watched growing up. I saw in place. I saw previous generations that love the Lord and that love the Word of God and that, that love the Word of God rightly divided. And I come along number three with my children, that's number four, and now grandchildren are starting to come along in, in Christian. Well, that's five generations of truth. What a, what a wonderful privilege that is. And that's something we should all be interested in. In, uh, you know, if, you, if you're not a part of a godly generation, start one. <laughs> and, and carry those on. But those things don't happen by just coasting along in the culture. They have to happen with purpose and intent and, and, uh, and, and drive and commitment to the things that really matter. And I thank the Lord. I had this, all these things kind of in the middle of my message because I want to talk about something toward the end, but um, I, I, I as a youngster was able to watch godly generations in action, and uh, uh, it, had, it, 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 it didn't have so much of an impact at the time, because to me it was normal, <laughs> and uh, you know, sometimes that's the problem that kids have, they grow up in stability, they don't know anything else, everything else out there kind of seems you know, the curiosity is, is sparked and, you know, what is that, you know, and so on. We kind of, we take it for granted. 
Young people need to appreciate those things. That's part of what he says when he says, honor thy father and mother. Um, I've got to look at the verses or I'll just you know, talk all day. I want to share some things with you in the book of Proverbs this morning. Proverbs chapter 1. Um, last week we talked to you about why do the heathen rage? Why is it such a mad, mad world out there? And really, the, the, the reason is, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the fool also says no to God's truth. And we, we just looked at some things. How the world got where it is today is because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And so God gave them up, and the Gentile world goes on in its own wisdom, in its own perspective, and Romans 1 lays that thing out. When you begin to read Paul's epistles and you read the first chapter of Romans, it puts the, puts the world in perspective and how the world got the way it was, uh, the, the way it is. Then you realize that Romans 1 is talking about the world 4,000 years ago. Nothing new under the sun. So that's what we talked about last week. Why is the world so angry? It needs divine viewpoint. It needs truth. It needs the word of God. Um, so this morning, being Father's Day in the family, some things in Proverbs just kind of jumped out on me. They're, they're, they're uh, almost go without saying to this group, but I just want to say them this morning. The very next verse, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Here we have Solomon speaking to his son. Now Solomon was not that great of an example if you looked at the end of his life. It's, fascinating, it's interesting to try to figure out when, when Solomon wrote all these things. If he's writing to his son, and his son is Rehoboam, Rehoboam is, is a young man when he takes over for Solomon when, he's, when Solomon dies. Um, and uh, Solomon, it says, there's a verse in Kings, it says he spoke, I think it's 3,000 or 5,000 proverbs and 3,000 songs. That verse takes place early in his life as, he, as they're still getting ready to build the temple. Um, it says when Solomon was old, he forsook the Lord. So this, Ecclesiastes and the, the emptiness and the vainness and the mistakes and all that, were, he probably writes Ecclesiastes later in, in life. But he probably writes Proverbs while his son, Rehoboam, is a, is a grown man. And uh, he talks about the wife of thy youth and so on. So it's fascinating. But he writes here, my son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Um, the thing that steps out with, stands out with me, there's a father speaking to his son. There's the experience of knowledge and, and, uh, and, and life life's lesson speaking to the inexperience of youth and then naivete and uh, the, the innocence and, and lack of understanding. And you see that throughout. The, the, the phrase, my son, where, where Solomon is speaking to his son, occurs all, about 22 times in the book. And you see, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. It's the father talking to the son. It's the, it's the father's role in the life of his son. Boys need dads. Girls need moms. And you see here an, an active role of the father to the son. But you also see the father, and the, son, the, the father and the mother together. That speaks of the home and the family. Um, 
the um, it, it speaks to the the unite the you the union that produced the son it the, uh, the the establishment of the home there uh, my son hear the instruction of thy father so we see those those things that are there we need both viewpoints to prepare children for life they need the perspective of a dad they need the 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 perspective of a mother boys need their dads mom uh, girls need their moms boys need their moms and girls need their dads to see what a man looks like to see what a woman looks like so that as they be begin to progress through life and they begin to think about establishing their own home they have a model from which to follow but if society doesn't have that they're left to the to themselves to try to figure those things out um, it's an interesting thing you find all kinds of voices out there we all know who Denzel Washington is when he begins to talk, when people ask him about race and stuff, he talks about the importance of the family. I saw a quote, he says, they never arrest seven-year-olds. They never haul off seven-year-olds to jail. But 13-year-olds, if they don't have a dad in the house, they'll find one. They'll find a father figure. He says, we, you know, they're, they're, you know he talks about the, the turmoil, he says, but we shouldn't, help, we shouldn't help it along. And he talks about the importance of the family. But that is, that is, dismissed today and it occurred to me because probably people if they have a family a lot of these activists that are that are in the in the forefront they, they, they had a chaotic home life they don't understand what a what a, what a stable home life brings and what peace and, and stability that provides and security let alone if they, if they had, a, had a bad situation so you see that here um, verse 10 uh, verse Keep the, the, the perspective of mom and dad. Verse 9, For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy neck, and chain, uh, to thy head, and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Here you have a, a, a father talking to his son about the perspective of the world. And, and the, the, the draw of the world and, and to, to, to pull them uh, off, of, off of dead center. And then the rest of the chapter is all about the chaos that the world is experiencing um, they, 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 you get down to the end, um, verse 9, 29, they hated knowledge. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would, they would none of my counsel despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Yeah, they're just, they're, they, they made their bed, now they're lying in it, as the expression goes. We shared a verse with you. Write this verse down, Psalm, 19, Psalm 9, verse 15 and 16. It says, The heathen, and that's the Gentiles, fall into the pit that they have laid with their own hands. We shared that, shared that verse with you last week. That's why the world is where it is, because of, of, of absence of divine viewpoint. What I want to do this morning is just reinforce, and in this series, talk about using the Bible as the prism to view life, to view history, to view culture. To view life and ministry and so on there. So we see, we, we see the wisdom and the experience speaking to the innocence and inexperience of youth. And we see the warnings. Go to Proverbs chapter 2. We read this passage. Here it is again. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide thy commandments with thee, that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and lifteth up thy voice for understanding. Um, verse, uh, 
For if thou seeketh her as silver and searchest for her as hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. The thing that sticks out and strikes me in that passage is the attitude of the child. Um, children, can, you can teach them and talk to them all day long, but until they have the heart and the attitude to take it in and receive it, it just bounces off. Notice, receive my words. Verse 2, incline thine ear unto wisdom. Uh, imply, apply thine heart to understanding. Verse 3, criest after knowledge and lifteth up thy voice with understanding. Young people, if you have a, a godly home and a godly parent and parents, you should be soaking that up, taking in all that you can, learning all that you can, approaching and applying that and, and, and storing that up, binding that upon the table of your heart by faith. A child walks by faith too. They have to have the proper attitude toward the home life. Not the, did you see what I did? You know, did we, did, we, did we ever do that? <laughs> yeah, I think we did. You know, oh, that, isn't that, doesn't that just rub you the wrong way as a parent? Mikhail, Rachel, you're, that's coming. You'll, you'll <laughs> Kyle and Hannah, too. Kyle work, is working, and uh, they had car trouble and so on. But, but the attitude of the child is, is, is so important. Not just what you teach them, but they have to be a sponge soaking it up and taking it in. Notice the terms here. You see the term knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Knowledge is just instruction. It's just information. Children, and the adult species, is in total dependence upon the parents. We have, we have the Will Furby Memorial um, plant, hanging plant, on our, on our front porch. We've got, we've got morning doves, mom and dad, that are, that are their pair, they're on their, they're, now they're, I think they're on their third or their fourth batch of youngins there. And it's fascinating to watch that and watch the progression and so on. Every once in a while, you'll take it down and look. But, but the animal creation, all they got to do is feed them. And eventually, instinct takes over. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they watch the young ones kind of flop, flop, fling their way. And out they go, you know. And they just start the process all over again. It's fast. We got, we got, <laughs> the reason... Will Furby gave that to Sue as a Mother's Day present, I think, last year or the year before. And it's long died out, but we just got that basket hanging there kind of in memory of Will. It just reminds me of every time, every time I look at it. But um, we got Robin's nest in the back doing the same thing. They're not quite as proficient, but I think they're on their second or their third. So it's, it's just fascinating. But children are not that way. Children are a blank slate that have to be, you have to write on that table of their heart. You have to communicate things to them, viewpoint. And they get it from, they're bombarded with so many areas. The, the parents have a responsibility to communicate that. Knowledge is just instruction and information. Understanding is perception and evaluation. That's why Paul talks about you'll see with the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Understanding is the ability to look at knowledge or, or look at a, an event and really perceive the reality of what's happening, taking place. Wisdom is the application of knowledge and understanding. 
wisdom is gained by experience. <laughs> now, you get wisdom because you can read the scriptures. One of the great things about reading the Bible and reading the Old Testament is you see the experiences of, of individuals. And you watch the generations, especially through that Old Testament, and you watch the families develop, and you gain all kinds of wisdom and, and, and into human nature and the application of, of things. That's why all scripture is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction. And Timothy, from a child, knew what? He knew the holy scriptures, which make him wise unto salvation in the present evil age. That's the, Timothy, you, you had some things in the Old Testament scriptures that had, had, didn't have the mystery revealed in them that gave you some wisdom, gave you some doctrine and reproof and correction that will help you in this present perilous time of deception. Wow, the Bible's a timeless book. You know, here's something else. We ought, to try, we ought to be soaking this thing up, not struggling to find out where it is on Sunday morning so we can take it to church. Um, having a daily relationship with God's Word and that daily intake of doctrine is, is so valuable and so important. So we see those things. You get all three of those things. You get knowledge and wisdom and understanding from God's Word, and children need to be given all three. And so, so that's important. Proverbs chapter 3, another familiar passage. My son, again, father to son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Um, uh, let, verse 3, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them upon the, thy, thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. The uh, Psalm 119, I think it was Chester's favorite verse. Um, how shall a young man please, please the Lord by, uh, is it, I'm thinking a couple, I'm conflating a couple of verses. Um, Thy word was a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. One of those early verses in Psalm 119, um, it's some, some, it had something to do with writing the, the, on, the, on the table of your heart. Your heart is the mentality of your soul. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's not just taking God's word and putting it in your mind and in, you know, being able to list the, the references. It's putting them down. And by faith, faith with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And when the mouth, you know, the, the, the heart is where you store doctrine. The heart is, is, is where you live life out of. Keep thine heart with all diligence. Out of it are all the issues of life. So putting the word of God into the heart of young people. Um, Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. That verse has nothing to do with, with God uh, trusting the Lord in circumstances. And uh, um, verse 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. has nothing to do with God directing your path through circumstances as you trust him. And, and looking at the, at, the, at, the, at the landscape and trying to figure out how he's directing you and leading you with circumstances. Tr trusting in the Lord is the issue of faith. It's the issue of truth. Trust in the Lord. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Take and trust the word of God. Trust divine viewpoint. And, and take, it, take that in with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. <laughs> he's talking to his son. You know, if he's, if he's an adult son here, he's got some maturity and experience. If he's talking to a little child, guess what, youngin? You ain't got none. <laughs> you ain't got any understanding. You got, you got very limited wisdom and, 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 and truth. 
Lean not to thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. How do you acknowledge him? You trust him. You take divine viewpoint. And he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Here again, the words of a father to his, to his son. A great passage here. Um, come over to Proverbs chapter 4. Here's an interesting one. Here you have the father not talking to the son, but the father talking to the children. Proverbs 4 verse 1. Hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. Here dad's talking to both sons and daughters, talking to all the children here, not just to his son. Here's, this is fascinating, verse 2. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. Who's talking here? Proverbs? Uh, Solomon? Solomon is saying, I got good doctrine. Here are the instruction that I'm giving you. Where did Solomon get his doctrine? Got it from the Lord. You know, with his prayer. You know, I don't want, I don't want uh, riches or wealth or fame. I just want wisdom. And the wisdom he's asking for is the governmental wisdom, really. Because he wants to manage the affairs. He's young and doesn't know how to go out and come in. So God gave him administrative, administrative wisdom. But he also had some divine knowledge. You know why he had some divine knowledge? Verse 3, for I was my father's, what? Son. Who was Solomon's daddy? David. A man after God's own heart. The sweet psalmist of Israel. I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. If you do a timeline as you're reading through that Old Testament story there, that's Solomon was the fruit, was the offspring of David and Bathsheba. The second son, the first son died because that was the one that was conceived in the adulterous relationship. And then David takes Bathsheba to be his wife and Solomon is the next born son out of that relationship. And he says, I was my father's son and tender and the only beloved in the sight of my mother. You know when David started to teach Solomon, the last half of, of David's 40-year reign. That great sin with Bathsheba happens about in the middle. David reigned for 40 years and Solomon reigned for 40 years. The last 20 years of David's reign was total chaos and upheaval. Upheaval in his family. His boys are committing incest. The, the one tries to take over and usurps authority in Israel and David has to run and flee. And he's a fugitive and in the last 20 years of his reign he's still the king of Israel. And yet throughout that process he has interaction with Sol Solomon. is growing up through all of that and watching the chaos in the nation, watching the, the decline in, in Israel. So that the last 20 years of David's reign he finally... <coughs> comes back to the throne after the death of his son that tried to usurp. And Solomon is probably about 20 years old when David dies. He's young and he's tender. And as they, that touching passing of the torch, as we looked at it last time, as, as David prepared to, to build the temple, gave the pattern for the temple unto, unto uh, Solomon in writing and tells the nation, Solomon, my son, is young and tender and the work is great. And uh, 
So this is Solomon now, having learned from David in that tumultuous time, now talking to his boy. And you don't know if um, the son that he's talking to over and over again is Rehoboam, but Rehoboam was the son that took over when Solomon died. And he made a mess of things because he watched the last 20 years of his daddy's life. And what did Solomon do toward the end? When he was old, he did what? He forsook the Lord and married many strange wives and uh, you know, built the, the temples for the, for the idols and, and so on. And Rehoboam, as, as he takes over, had the table set so marvelously for him and within just a short time, because he forsook the counsel of the older men, <laughs> the wisdom of experience, and he listened to his peers, the nation of Israel plunged into division and that split of the kingdom. It's just interesting here. You, hear, you see Solomon pleading with his son. I was my father's son, tender and the only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words and keep my commandments and live. You see the importance of a father in the life of the children there. And of course, as you study those kings, they had multiple wives and Solomon had multiple wives and so on here. But um, the, the scriptural perspective on the home and the family is one man and one woman. That's kind of the default position. And the cultural situation there um, allowed and it was normal for multiple wives and concubines and all that stuff. But it just creates chaos in the home. David had ten wives and concubines and, and, and a son with each one. And all of those boys are jockeying for position and wanting the, the, to be the heir of the throne. David was a flop as a father. When you, when you boil it all down is how he approached things. But he had some wisdom, but his life didn't support it. <laughs> the, and so the example is important there. So you, here you see again the importance of children being instructed by both mom and dad, soaking it up. And you see the, the, the godly generations, if you, run the, if you run the generations back, David's dad was Jesse. Jesse's dad was a guy named Obed. Obed was the, the offspring of Ruth and Boaz. Boaz, the, the mighty kinsman redeemer, and Ruth, a virtuous woman. Don't you think that was a great household to be raised in? David and Solomon here had godly generations. Not perfect generations, but they had a, they had a history of truth and identity and family lineage. That was so vitally important. Not just the, the immediate home, but the extended family is vitally, vitally important. So you see all these, these great things here. Um, so you go a little bit further. Go over to, Solid, to Proverbs chapter 6. And this is going to be the last passage that I want to look at in, in Proverbs. But you can go, go on and on. And you just see the importance of the family and things here and the generations. And you, you see in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20, you see it again. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. So you see both father and mother there. And, and then he says in verse 21, bind them continually upon thy heart and tie them about thy neck. You know the importance of both perspectives in the home both the father and the mother. 
um, you have the Father's commandment. That speaks of authority and power and strength and the law of thy mother. There's the principle and the guidance and the instruction there. But you see both perspectives of men and women. Men and women are different. Gender matters. Clarity of, of, of gender matters. Clarity and, and both testimonies in the home are vitally important to produce a balanced human being. A boy needs the authority of the dad and the strength of the dad to take the edge off the aggression and the control and needs the tenderness of mom to soften the edge and have compassion in his life. You need both father and mother in the home to produce a balanced human being. And you need both the authority of God and the, the authority in the home, but also the principles. And he says, bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. You need both genders. You need both perspectives, men and women. I said it before. A boy needs to see what a woman looks like, and a, and a girl needs to see what a man looks like to have that balanced perspective. And you know what that does? That produces a balanced human being, and it produces a stable human being that comes from a stable home. And if you have a stable marriage, which produces a stable home, which then produces stable children, then you have a stable culture. Because you have stable adults. And then you have a stable nation. <laughs> because the building block of the culture is the family and the home. And you just flip that around and the same is true. You have the breakdown of the home. Then you have the breakdown of the, the children. You have the breakdown of the character and the, of the individual as they grow and mature. And as then they go out then you have the breakdown of the culture and the eroding of the culture and then you have the breakdown of the nation and that's you you see the you see the decline in america largely because of the breakdown of the family and you can't talk about the family today you certainly can't talk about the family when it comes to a lot of the political um, wrangling how many of you remember dan quayle dan he had the audacity to speak, this is back, this Bush 41's Veep, by and present for, for those of you that weren't around then. <laughs> and he had the audacity to speak about Hollywood's portrayal of a single mom bringing a child and raising a child. His comments were about Hollywood. And that was taken and twisted, and they just beat him up like he was talking against single mothers which he was making a positive statement about the home and the family and the depiction of, 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 of Hollywood to make it a noble thing. And listen, single mothers do tremendous things. You don't want to paint a broad brush against single parent homes. But the, but the struggle is there and the battle is there and the, the challenges are there. The two parent, two family home is the ideal. And single parent homes need still to look for that Balance in other areas, a la extended family, aunts and uncles, and, or the church. And yet you still don't see that either, do you? Uh, because of the breakdown of the home and the family and the culture. Can't talk about those things. I'll, I'll just say this. 
uh, Black Lives Matter, the organization, is anti-Western nuclear family. People who follow the movement don't realize that. But you go on the website, they want, their goal is to disrupt the Western model of the prescribed nuclear family, end quote. They are anti-traditional gender. And so they, 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 they have those particular things that, that are driving that movement, the leadership of it. And it's, a, and it's a sad thing. And you try to talk about the family, and they yawn because their concept of the family and the home is twisted. All those things are, 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 are difficult. But here you need both perspectives. And you, have, you bind them continually upon my neck, and then look at the results, verse 22 to 25. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it'll, it'll keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. You'll have peace in your heart. You'll be able to get a good night's sleep. You'll be able to rest. You'll have peace of mind and quietness in your walk. Verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and a law is the light. And reproofs of instruction are the way to life. You'll have instruction and light and reproof to, to, to correct things in your life and put you back on the right path from within. Your conscience is fortified. To, verse 24, to keep thee from the evil woman and with the, from the flattery of the tongue and of the strange woman. Those things, that balanced perspective will help prevent you, keep you from the lust of the flesh and the lust of temptation to be drawn off the, the correct and the proper path. Um, verse number 25, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let uh, her take thee with thine eyelids. There's the lust of the eyes and the, 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 the draw of, of, of visualization. All of those things come from a balanced upbringing that the child makes the choice to put in their heart. And it's reinforced with family and extended family and godly generations. And you had that in Israel. Uh, and that, Israel was the model. Talk about, we'll talk about nationalism in a couple of weeks. The, the principles of nationalism in God's word. Israel was the model nation to the rest of the world how, how nationalism should function in a culture and divine viewpoint. So godly generations are vital. Marriage is vital. A home, stable home life. Guys, men, you're responsible to lead and direct. But it's a team effort with mom right at your side. And it's vital and critically important that you function as one. <laughs> have a united testimony and a united front, and you speak with one voice with the balance of perspective, provides tremendous balance in the lives of children. Amen? We know that all too, uh, not, not too well. We know that that's the truth and the issue of the family and the home. I want to just digress as we close. Come with me to the book of Philippians. I want to talk about another family just for a minute. Because there's another home and there's another family that's vitally important. And uh, you see it in the life of Paul and Timothy and you see it in a number of other places. You see godly generations serving the Lord together. You see that in Philippians chapter 2 verse 19 to 23. And this is at the end, this is at the close of their ministry. Paul and Timothy have been laboring together for a number of years he says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, 
that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus. Paul had tremendous confidence in Timothy, didn't he? Calls him my, my dearly beloved son in the faith. He says, verse 22, but you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. There's a beauty in that verse about generations serving the Lord together. Now here it's Paul, the older man, the great apostle. Timothy is not his son in the flesh, but he's his son in the work. And there's a beauty, there's a beauty to that. You have the, the age and the experience functioning and, uh, and leading and guiding the younger man, Timothy, so that now Timothy is at a point where Paul can't make the journey but he's confident and he can send a younger man because he's, he's, he fully knows my doctrine and my manner of life and my, my, my conduct and my persecution and how the Lord stood with me. Timothy can go. He's just as good as if I could come myself. He wanted to come and he couldn't. There's a principle here for us, beloved. There's a principle of generations serving the Lord together. Older generations taking the lead and laboring and serving together in the work. And the experience and the age and the maturity of the older conveying that, that, that life and that perspective to the younger. And they're able to observe and to watch and to see it function and see it demonstrated. And I, I think back, and I mentioned before about the five generations that I was a part of, I had the privilege to watch that as a kid growing up, and I didn't fully appreciate it at the time, like most of us don't. But I watched godly generations serving the Lord together in the local church, the local church family. Cousins and aunts and uncles and my mom and my dad and my grandparents and aunts and then other families Dick and Marion Olson and their two, two daughters, uh, Carol and Lois, and their sons. Lois married Floyd, the, <laughs> the, the son of the pastor, and Carol married Mike, who was a, uh, uh, they'd met at Bible college. And there's families serving the Lord together in youth work and, and, and local church work and local church life. There's no greater joy than beginning in, and I didn't realize it, but as I caught the, caught the passion and caught the joy and started plugging into that, and you learn a value, and there's a joy of pouring yourself into the lives of people and a common bond and a common, common network and a common life that you share. It starts in the home and families beginning to, to minister and, and labor together. And I'll tell you, I'll just be honest with you. I've been thinking... <laughs> I had a lot of time to think when we were shut down for eight or nine weeks or whatever it was. And I stepped back and I said, I got 20 years left, maybe. I told that to Sue, she laughed. <laughs> you realize how old you I'll be 83. Well, I hope to die with my boots on. I hope to slow down at some point. But I'm going to go as long as the Lord enables me. I'd like to shoot for 25 if you have me that long. Who knows? But you know, 20 years from now, I'm 83 years old. It's 2040. 
That's 20 years. What's Berean Bible Church going to look like in 20 years? Think about, think about that. A lot of us are not the young couples anymore. There's a real need, and we have a real opportunity in the next 20 years. And the next generation, now we got two generations coming behind us. And there's a, there's a laboring together as they see the labor and the work and the older generation learning from it and participating in it that, that, that they, there's a fellowship that, de that develops there. And now the, the, the next generation, the little, the little ones that are coming along, get to watch and observe. And it becomes the normal for them. Beloved, there's, a, there's an opportunity that we have that I think we can, we can step back and take, take, take a, 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 a look at ourselves and our ministry and begin to, to revitalize our ministry together. Because you know what? In 20 years, our culture is going to need Berean Bible Church to be preaching the Word of God rightly divided, the same message from the same book, with the same fervor and the same zeal. That's what our culture needs if the Lord tarries. Now we have, the, we have the opportunity, and I would just say to you that godly generations are not something that, that we just enjoy on Father's Day and throughout life, but it's something that we enjoy in life and in ministry together. And I would just ask, it's, you know where it starts? It starts with the older men. It starts with us. Challenging and enabling and, and structuring so that the younger and the next generation can work together and labor in the ministry, both men and women, in their particular avenue in life and ministry. And there's a joy and there's a, there's a preciousness in that that, is, that that I can't put into words. And it's the opportunity that we have. So let's think about that. And uh, it also requires the younger generation to see the need and the opportunity and to not put limitations upon themselves, but to say, I'll do what I can. And I'll, I'll do the best I can. And I won't... See, when you start comparing yourself to other people and saying, I can't do it like that, you just cut yourself off right at the knees. And uh, so there's an opportunity for us. Because in 20 years, there's a third generation coming along that's going to need stability and ministry and truth because who knows what our world's going to look like in 20 years. But you know what? This message is timeless. It's tailor-made for the Gentile world, whatever, wherever the culture goes. And we don't know where our culture is going. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. Perilous times. But you know how you're delivered? Through the truth of God's word that makes you wise unto salvation. And we need to commit that to the next generation. The things that thou hast heard of me, Paul tells Timothy the same. Don't just teach. What is he supposed to <coughs> commit it to faithful men? And that's wonderful to do that with, with a, a church family and different people. But it starts with our family laboring in the work and the ministry. Amen? No, I, I don't say I don't share these things to ball us out. I say these things to let's redeem the time. There's the time is short. And uh, we have this tremendous opportunity.
Father, thank you for your patience, the patience of the saints. I thank you for the history and the heritage of, of this great ministry and the lives that have, that have established it and perpetuated it and carried it on. But Lord, there's a, there's a need now to continue to go forward in the work of the ministry on that, on that taking that next step and that next level of pouring ourselves into the common laboring together of the ministry. And as we do that, it's not just work. It's a level of joy and, 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 uh, and peace and uh, uh, a, a, a joy of heart that uh, is unmatched anywhere else. So, Lord, I thank you for the homes and families that we have, for the history that we have as a ministry, the stability that is here. And, Lord, we pray for godly generations to follow that will perpetuate and carry on the truth of, of your word. For we know not how long this current age of grace will last. What a great thing if it would end today. But, Father, we need to plan and prepare and think about the future till you come as ambassadors for Christ. Thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.